Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. So great to be with you tonight. And um, yeah, Taylor said it already, but RUF is a community. We want to be a place uh, that you can call home while you're at UConn, even if it's just your virtual home. And uh, at RUF, we look at the Bible uh, because we believe that that's where Jesus is revealed. And we believe that Jesus is the key to life, the key to even become people that can truly love. And so uh, we look at the Bible each semester. Uh, each semester, we kind of go through a different part of the Bible. And this semester, if you've been coming, you know we, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's just Jesus's most famous sermon, his most famous teaching. And uh, if you've been here, you know that he's been talking a lot. We've been meeting, this is our fifth week, I think, and uh, Jesus kind of introduced this idea of the kingdom and uh, how uh, his kingdom that he's come to bring is so different than what our world is typically like. And uh, last week, uh, we kind of got into this idea of like that Jesus cares about the heart and uh, we looked at uh, ang- the idea of anger and how anger is uh, just the root of murder. And, and he's getting into all these practical parts of life. And tonight we're covering this topic of lust and adultery. And I'll just acknowledge, you know, if this is your first time at RUF, that might be a little weird that you just show up and we're talking about lust. But uh, we don't always talk about lust. It's just what Jesus happens to be talking about in this part of uh, the text that we're looking at. Uh, but, you know, as we approach the subject of lust, I'll just also acknowledge that uh, we all bring our own baggage to this topic. And uh, we bring, some of us bring hurts to this topic. Uh, some of us bring shame to this topic. And so I just want to acknowledge up front uh, that in RUF, we believe that everyone is sexually broken. And, uh, and so uh, we're all, we all stand in need of healing in different ways. And so I want us to be about that as a group and support each other and be a place where we can uh, be open and without shame. Uh, so uh, let me read us this text to get us started. This is just from Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. There it is. Um, this is Jesus talking. He says, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Uh, Let me just pray briefly. Uh, Heavenly Father, guide us through this text and this time and show us your truth and help the truth to set us free. Amen. All right, so if you've, at first glance, when we read a text like we just read, it kind of seems to confirm what most people think God thinks already about, like, you know, 
most people's notions like God hates sex, God is a prude, whatever you want to, you know, like the Bible teaches if you like sex, you're going to hell or something like that. And that's kind of what it seems, you know, on the surface. Uh, but to understand where Jesus is coming from in this text, for, the Bible doesn't say those things, by the way, but uh, to understand what G- where Jesus is coming from, we need to get a grasp on what the Bible says as a whole about sex and why adultery is prohibited in the Bible. So I want to first look at the Bible and sex. So three parts, the Bible and sex, and then the essence of lust, and then a way forward for those of us that struggle with lust. So uh, first of all, the Bible and sex. Uh, In the Bible, uh, sex is introduced in the second chapter of the whole Bible. Uh, It's a a scene where God presents Eve to Adam. And they're both naked in the garden. And everything is just great. And when God presents Eve to Adam, Adam says, uh, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And, you know, I would probably say something different if I was Adam in that situation. But um, in that day, like, what you need to know about reading that text is that that's a vow. Like, when Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, uh, that's a covenant vow. It's, it's a way of saying, like, people used to say that to enter into, like, a contract or a promise. They would say, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which means, like, you belong to me. Like, I'm going to treat you like you are my own flesh and blood. And so, and and there is sex. You know, it says Adam knew Eve. And uh, Genesis 2, this beginning part of the Bible, shows that sexual desire is good. It's good to want sex. But it also shows that sex is meant to be the physical expression of a covenant. In other words, of vows. Sex is meant to go, in other words, with vows. And in the Bible, there's, you know, the best relationship is a covenant relationship. It's rooted in a promise. The best and closest relationship in the the physical way to express that is sex. Uh, So the goal of sex is not to feel good, although sex does feel good. And it's the goal of sex is not meant to be, you know, not to just feel fulfilled or something like that. But the goal of sex is always in the Bible to give physical expression to a relational bond. Uh, It's a way of reaffirming a commitment that you've already made to your spouse. It's a way of saying, acting out, like here, you can have all of me forever. You can see it all. And in marriage vows, we vow that we'll never leave our spouse, no matter what. Uh, No matter how bad things get, we vow to never leave. And vows are actually what make marriage so good. You know, a lot of people look at vows and they think like, Vows are so restricting and, you know, I don't like that idea of vows, but really vows are the best because when someone vows that they'll love you forever, like that's freedom. You know, you're no longer like auditioning for this person to love you. And so if that's a covenant relationship that's rooted in a vow, the opposite of a covenant relationship would be a consumer relationship. When someone wants to have sex with you, but doesn't want to be married to you, what they're saying to you is, I want something you can give me, but I don't want all of you forever. You know, bear everything. Allow me, you know, like, I'm not ready to allow you to know all of me. I'm not ready to serve you forever and care for you. Um, And so that's the Bible and sex. It's meant for 
a covenant and it's all sex is unquestionably good in this context so much so that there's a whole book of the bible song of solomon that just celebrates sex you could read it's just a few chapters and uh, the imagery is a little ancient so it's a little hard to understand but if you like translated it you'd be like you know it would be tvma like this is serious like sexual literature in the bible uh, but in our passage that we just read, Jesus is talking, you know, he's, he's talking about the law and uh, God's commandments and specifically this one to not commit adultery, which is the seventh commandment. And the overall all point he's trying to make is that the, we talked about this last week some is that the law was meant to bless us like God's law, his rules show us the best way to live and what the law never was supposed to be is like a way to measure yourself against other people, which is what people in Jesus day were doing and what we typically do as well. And so, you know, sometimes we might think like, you know, I've done some bad things, but I've never cheated on my spouse. So I feel okay about that. And none of you are married, I don't think. So you can all say that. And uh, what Jesus's point is that uh, it, the law was never supposed to be that. Uh, and, um, and so he talks about adultery and, you know, think about adultery, leaving your spouse. You know, you married them and then you leave them. And that's bad. God says that that's bad because it breaks a covenant. It breaks a promise. It turns a covenant relationship into a consumer relationship saying, you know, I don't want, you, you know, I want what someone else can give me. I don't want you anymore, so I'm going to leave. And that's bad. But then Jesus says, this is the point. He says, you know what else does that? Lust. Lust is the same. And what that's meant to do to us is it's supposed to level all of us. It just assumes everyone is lustful. And we're immediately meant to see ourselves as lawbreakers. We're immediately meant to see ourselves as people in need of mercy. Uh, so I want to get in now to the essence of lust. Uh, Jesus says, "Everyone who looks, first of all, he says, everyone who looks at a every uh, who looks at a woman with lustful intent, and he just happens to be speaking to men there. Like it obviously applies in the reverse to women. Like it's not his audience just happens to be men. Uh, but um, anyway." he talks about lustful intent. And in the Bible, the word that's translated as lust is a Greek word, which means over desire. Uh, it's a specific form of greed or idolatry. And it involves what we dream about, uh, what we fantasize about, what we think will give us ultimate like fulfillment. And, and it's really consumerism at its core. Uh, he's talking about the good desires that we have for sex that then get distorted into over-desire, this consumeristic greed of lust. And this can look like fantasy. This can look like hooking up. This can look like coerced sex. This could look, uh, you know, nothing's really more consumeristic than like the sexual pleasure you can get from viewing pornography because there's, it's literally, you literally pay nothing and you exploit a person uh, for your own, benefits. Uh, and because of the internet and smartphones, it's like totally free. And so we pay nothing and we just take, take, take. And you guys know we live in a hypersexual culture. Everything is sexualized and it's driven by lust. And the difference between lust and love is that love says, what can I do for you? 
And lust says, what can you do for me? And so we're exercising our sexuality in ways that are opposite of God's intention, and it's offensive to God. But the other issue and the reason God gives his law is that the potential that lust has to enslave us. Remember, it's over, we're talking about over-desire. It's a good desire, uh, and then it makes it something that will die unless we have. And the greatest illustration for this, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, is Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Uh, if you don't know that story, Gollum is this disgusting character who's obsessed with the ring and getting the ring from Frodo. And uh, if you know the backstory, you know that Gollum was once this man named Smeagol. And uh, because of an encounter with this ring, he becomes obsessed with it. And it literally turns him into something else. And um, it even goes so far to say that uh, Gollum, it says he loved and hated the ring as he loved and hated himself. Uh, so lust will turn you into Gollum. And anyone who has ever dealt with lust knows that this is true. Uh, you know, you give in to lust and then you, a day, an hour later, a day later, a week later, you think like, man, what was that? Like, who, who was that? What happened there? And it's interesting because we live in this time of, you know, a lot of awareness of like sexual assault and it's just a big issue on the college campus. And a lot of the way that people tend to want to deal with that is to say like, well, we need to do a better job of like explaining what consent is uh, because that's, you know, people aren't educated in what consent really is. And when people say that, I want to say, no, like people are filled with lust. Uh, like our lustful hearts all need a savior. Like it's not that we don't know in our heads what consent is. Uh, lust makes you do st stupid things. Um, a pastor that I quote a lot, Tim Keller says this, he says, one reason we can burn with seemingly uncontrollable sexual passion is because at the moment our hearts believe the lie that if we have a great romantic sexual experience, we will finally feel deeply fulfilled. Uh, so that's less. Sex is good, but any vision of life that requires it is actually bowing down, worshiping the idol of sex. And every God but the true God will enslave you because sex can't satisfy. People can't satisfy. Pleasure won't ultimately satisfy you. And so that's lust. But I want to look now at a way forward for those of us with lustful, adulterous hearts. And I just want to start by answering the question, like, should we all go gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands? Uh, no, we shouldn't. Uh, Jesus is obviously using hyperbole here. It's a technique he used a lot when he taught. But the point is, his point is that because we have this inclination toward lust and because of how quickly lust can turn us into Gollum, we need to take drastic measures to protect ourselves. Um, so, you know, some drastic measures that I think are reasonable for today. One is community and just talking about it because no one talks about it and we need help. We're, we can't deal with it on our own. So, um, you know, we believe that when we know Christ, when we're accepted by the one who made us, it frees us to be vulnerable and uh, it takes away our shame. And so community is really... Uh, a key way that we can think about, you know, cutting off 
blessed. Um, and, you know, Sophie, Taylor, myself, like we want to be there for you guys. And I promise if you share something with us, like we won't be surprised or blush at all. Um, but, you know, some other ideas like getting out of your room. I know, I know a lot of you live alone right now. And that just, I would imagine, is not exceptionally helpful for dealing with lust. Um, finding way like they have software that shares your screen with other people so that other people will know what you're looking at. Um, maybe you want to take the bold step of getting a flip phone and being that person with the flip phone. Um, you know, maybe not watching certain TV shows that stir up lust within you. Uh, not drinking if it leads you toward lust. Uh, to cut off your hand is to say, I know myself well enough to know that like, I don't need to be alone in my room all weekend. Or I don't need to be, you know, having internet access 24-7 all the time. And that's just wisdom. But I want us to think about a deeper answer. And that, the deeper answer kind of comes from the whole Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at. Uh, this way forward for those of us that have lustful hearts. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that over and over again, we've been saying like Jesus cares about the heart. Uh, he cares what's going on in your heart. And we've said over and over again that we live in this world that's upside down. Uh, we live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. And, but that Jesus has come to call us into his kingdom, which is the way it's supposed to be, although it may look upside down to the world around us. And what it looks like to live in Jesus's kingdom is that we run from lust instead of toward it, because most people in our world are running toward it. And we focus on our hearts rather than, you know, oh, at least I haven't committed adultery or something like that. And because what's going on in my heart is that I'm lustful, right? And so if that's going on in my heart, that means I act lustfully, whatever, porn, hooking up, whatever you fantasize about, take your pick. But then I frequently feel ashamed of what I've done. And guess what that makes my heart want? Comfort, escape, satisfaction. And where does that usually lead me to? Lust. And the cycle just goes on and on and on. And the only thing that can break that cycle, the only thing that can change our hearts is a taste of life in the kingdom. And the only thing that can quench this insatiable longing that we often feel is a taste of life with Jesus as our king. Uh, to get better, we need the shame and the hurt undone. And I just want to share with you a little excerpt from something that if you've been around RUF, you've definitely heard me read before. I read it probably once a year, uh, the story of this man that's named James. Uh, listen, this is a little long, but listen closely because this is so important. Um, this is from a book called Too Good to Be True by Ricky Jones. Uh, he was also a, used to be an RUF minister. And this is what he writes about this guy, James. He says, over breakfast one day, James told me that when he was two years old, he witnessed his father murdering his mother. She was beaten to death with a hammer, and little James was taken by the court and placed in eight foster homes over the next four years, where he was routinely abused, harassed, and shamed. Every night of his life, James wet the bed, and every morning he was shamed for it. One foster family threatened him, but when he couldn't stop, they escalated their harassment. 
They wrapped the soiled sheet around his neck and forced him to sit outside at the bus stop where his peers mocked him. One person hung a sign around his neck that declared, I wet the bed. Finally, James was placed back into institutionalized care where a psychologist pronounced that he would never be socially fit or well-adjusted. They said he would never be able to live and function in society. Years later, a couple wanted to adopt a child but were too old for a baby. Caseworkers warned them that older children waiting for adoption often developed deep emotional issues, but the couple would not be dissuaded. They were given a book with more than 500 pictures, and in it, they saw a picture of James. They pointed to him and said, we want him. That first day, they took him to a Chinese restaurant. James saw everyone around him eating with sticks. Never in his life had he seen a pair of chopsticks. This was only the second time he had eaten in a restaurant. He thought to himself, I have to eat with sticks. If I don't, they are not going to want me as their son. He grasped a chopstick in each hand and plunged the ends into the soup, splashing it all over the man who was supposed to be his new father. James thought, I'm done. They don't want me. They're going to send me back. They're going to send me back. He cried. The man, covered in soup, reached under the table where he had placed a toy boat, one he carved from balsa wood as a gift for his new boy. He handed it to James and asked, Would you like to be my son? The couple took him home that night and tucked him into a, a bed with brand new Roy Rogers sheets. James looked at the woman who would be his mother and said, I wet the bed every night. I'm going to soil these sheets. And she said, honey, if you do, we'll get up and wash them, but you're still going to be my son. He never wet the bed again. And James is now a full-grown man who the day after our breakfast stood in front of a church full of a thousand people and preached the gospel. No one in that room would have said he was socially awkward or, or unable to function in society. He was healthy, whole, and complete. He was living proof that Jesus is alive and at work healing people. Okay. In Jesus' kingdom, lustful people are not shamed out of their lust. They are loved out of their lust. I don't need sexual fulfillment if I've got the kind of fulfillment that comes when the one who made you says, you know, I know everything you've done. I know what you look at on your screens. I know what you think. I know the images in your head. But you're still going to be my daughter. You're still going to be my son. I'll be torn apart to have you. So that can change you from the inside out. So go take drastic measures to protect yourself from lust. And as you take those drastic measures, put your faith in the one, in this God who can truly satisfy you, the God who knows all of you and saves and gives new hearts. Uh, let me pray for us and then we'll go into a time of discussion. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are like this, uh, that you are a God who isn't disgusted by us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to save the likes of us. We pray that that would be our story and that would change our hearts uh, from lustful hearts to hearts that cling to you ultimately.
Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.